This episode is brought to you by Our Daily Bread Ministries, a global media organization that makes the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. Visit whereyou'refrom.org for more information. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. Welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. My name is Steve Carter, and in connection with my good friends at CDF Capital, we're here to help you get better at the craft of communicating, but ensuring that our character always leads the way. So today I'm excited to be joined by an incredible pastor, an incredible communicator, uh, Tara Beth Leach. Uh, she's a writer. Uh, she leads uh, Paz Naz uh, First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, um, but she is a prophetic voice. Uh, again, I think she is one of those voices that when she tweets something, I'm listening. When she blogs on Missio Alliance, uh, their their page, I'm reading it. She is just a fantastic prophetic, yet deeply, deeply pastoral voice. And today, we're going to look at a teaching that she gave to kick off a brand new series as she and the community at Paznaz walk through the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The series is called Invitations, and it begins on June 7th, and we're going to jump in with a clip right now from that message and then dive into a conversation on the craft of communication and on how she is ensuring that her character is leading the way. I hear something often. For many well-meaning Christians, I think probably even a time or two years ago, I might have said something like this as well. But when conversations on race begin to bubble to the surface, many well-meaning Christians will say something like this. Why we got to talk about race? Can't we just focus on Jesus or why do we have to talk about X? We just need to focus on Jesus. All we need to do is just turn our eyes to Jesus. Stop talking about all of that. Stop talking about all of this hard stuff. Just focus on Jesus. Well, I say, yes, yes, let's focus on Jesus. In fact, let's take it a step Further, let's focus on Jesus and let's hear the invitation from John. Let's take him by the hand to come and get to know Jesus. Actually, the Jesus who loved indiscriminately when he went and he crossed every single known boundary marker and he sat next to the Samaritan woman at the well and he saw her for who she was. He saw that she was a woman. He saw that she was a Samaritan. He was not colorblind blind, but instead he saw her and he spoke kindly to her. He elevated her worth and he spoke life and he loved her. Yes, let's focus on Jesus. Let's actually get to know Jesus, the very Jesus who asked his disciples to take the greatest commandment seriously. When he said this, he said, the most important one, what's the most important thing we could do? We don't have to guess what Jesus says the greatest thing is. We don't have to guess what Jesus says the most important thing we can do. When he says the most important one is this, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love 
love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And this command of loving our neighbor as Jesus calls us to do has profound ripple effects in how this is lived out. The rubber actually must meet the road. This is not just a cognitive academic idea that we like to talk about, but Jesus is actually calling us to love those who are different from us, to actually move towards and try to understand and to listen to and to love those who we have walls up against, to love those whom we don't understand, to love those who are making us angry by the things that we are saying, even if they happen to be saying things that seem antagonistic to you, perhaps more than ever, this is the time for us to let the rubber meet the road and take the commands of Jesus seriously, to lean in, to love God with everything, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love indiscriminately, to love cross-culturally, to love counter-culturally, and to love without boundaries. Well, I am so, so excited uh, to have this chance to interview Tara Beth. And obviously, I, you know, I've been a fan of yours. I feel like um, for so long, just have read articles that, and blog posts that you've written on uh, with the Missio Alliance. And I mean, you've just been this uh, kingdom thought leader. A lot of people I deeply respect, uh, David Fitch, Scott McKnight. Uh, Eugene Cho, I mean, just these voices that always when your name comes up, it's like they get, they just smile and they just uh, just can't stop raving about your gift to the, the kingdom. And so it's an honor. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Oh, well, Steve, thank you. I am truly honored. Um, I, everything you just said I could say about you. Uh, I have been watching your sermons and you as a preacher for years. And I used to watch your sermons when you were at Willow and was just inspired by the art and the craft of preaching your passion. Oh my gosh. I would always think if I could just bottle up some of his passion <laughs> and bring some of that. I mean, it's just, it's contagious. And your love for God and the church and the word, mm-hmm. like you bring so much depth to it. And so I, um, for years, love watching you as a preacher. And so the admiration goes both ways. Well, before you joined Paz Naz, you were on my list to try and bring to Willow. Uh, and 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 then I, all of a sudden I heard this kind of, it felt like a, a free agent hire in the sports world. Like you went to, uh, you know, Paz Naz. And I was like, no, my dream is like been destroyed. But um, no, uh, I, I, I love tuning in to kind of the, the first teach of this invitation series. And you're actually walking through uh, first, second, and third John. And I thought maybe just before we dive into the craft of communication, which you are just a master at, if you wouldn't mind just talking about, hey, kind of the genesis of the series and um, what you were trying and hoping to accomplish in that first teach that we'll unpack together. Yeah, you bet. So we as a preaching team and pastoral staff, we map out our preaching series uh, up to 12 to 14 months in advance. But we're always committed to being flexible so that way we can respond to what's happening in the world and be open to the spirit and the spirit's moving. And so when we came out of the Eastertide season um, and into the summer, we always do a book of the Bible series. 
uh, coming out of Easter tide. And uh, we were actually going to do uh, was it Exodus, a book in the Old Testament. I can't remember, but so much was happening in our world. Um, we were in the middle of a pandemic that was clearly going to go on for much longer than we all thought when things started. And um, racial tensions were really ramping up. And we've been really, at Pazdance, we've been really committed to responding to what's happening so that we can speak into it pastorally, sometimes prophetically. And as we began to pray, what book of the Bible um, or what books does our church need right now to be light and hope in what is a very chaotic and dark time? And we came to the letters of John. Uh, and so I just started pouring over and saturating and reading the letters of John. And I was reading a commentary, actually, um, can't, uh, lots of commentaries, so I can't remember specifically what it was, but the word uh, invitations jumped out at me, which you have a book called Invitations, by the way, don't you? Right. I, I wrote, well, thank, nice plug. Thank you. Uh, no, I wrote a book uh, called This Invitational Life. So just like how to live a life of invitation. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember when it came out and I remember that you did a preaching series at Willow with that. Yeah. Uh, so the word jumped out of me, invitations, and the commentator said something along the lines of, you know, John's invitation for us. And so then I went back and I read the letters of John again. I thought there's just invitation after invitation after invitation. And right now for this cultural moment, for all that's happening in this world, more than ever, we have got to be a people who hear the invitations from the spirit of what it means to be the church right now. I mean, honestly, I loved it because the, the teach that um, that we're talking about that kicked it off was in early June, so a few months back. And um, but you know, even the service that I watched, you, you know, you weren't uh, walking away from uh, you know the civil unrest, even just in Hong Kong or what was happening in you know our own country with race related or even with COVID, and and yet there was just this sense of grounding. Um, and I don't know, it's again, just some seeing you up there holding this Bible, opening up to first John and really giving a word about what it means to know Jesus. And there was just such weight to it. And I, I think is, you know, um, what I love about your teaching is I think you are an amazing, excellent, like off the charts, gifted writer and also a great communicator. Like I, I think I'm a, I'm a, an above average communicator. I don't think I'm a great writer. I'm learning to get better at that. But you seem to do both. And I was just wondering, like, are you? Would you consider yourself a better writer or a better speaker? Yeah. So it's funny to hear. So it's really hard for me to receive someone say that I'm a good writer. Um, it's really high. Just almost as wall goes up into me, you know, because I. I've never thought of myself as a good writer. It's something that I have to work at really hard. And, um, and I, I would say I even blossomed very late in life with writing, okay. uh, very late in life. I mean, we're talking seminaries when it really started to blossom. And so I, growing up, I started, I mean, you know, like a lot of us preachers, I started preaching when I was 16 years old, 17 years old. And that gift came immediately. Um, and, so I, I was, I, I would say I've always been a communicator and preacher first writer came, writing came later in my life. I always had this dream of, Oh, wouldn't it be cool someday to write? But I just never thought I could. I didn't think I had the pros. I didn't think I had, I just, um, you know, part of my story of, of the blossoming stories, I just didn't think I had the chops, the theological chops uh, to do it. 
And so to this day, I would say, you know, preaching um, is, is what I would say is one of my main callings yes. and writing is an outflow of some of that. That's so good. Well, I also would say uh, you and Rich Velotis are two of my favorite people on Twitter. I feel oh, like man. every time <laughs> you put on the same level as Rich, I'm just like, <laughs> oh my goodness. But I feel he like it's just like amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. But just the the ways that you're able to uh, say something in you know 140 characters um, or tell a story in a couple tweets, it's just just really really powerful. Your your process for preaching though, talk talk a little bit about that. Like when you're when you think back to that first John. Um, one message and, uh, you know, you went through one through four and you were talking about just this, this sense of knowing Jesus, especially in, you know, uncertain days. And um, you even sang about it, you know, at the very end, which we'll probably touch on because it was awesome point. But um, talk about your process. I think you had just come back from a couple of weeks vacation. And so this was like a brand new series kicking off in a book and amidst such complex days. Um let us into that process. How does that work for you? Yeah, so the preaching process begins, um, you know, months in advance sometimes, depending on how we're shaping and thinking about the series. And for me, because we, you know, very last minute changed our preaching series, probably about three or four weeks in advance is when I started pouring over the letters of John. And so a lot of the exegetical work began then a month in advance. Um, and because I was, during that time, I organized you know, what we're going to preach when uh, through the first week of September. And so by that time, I was able to identify like, what are John's invitation um, invitations for us each week? And that week, it was an invitation to know Jesus. And I never know where it's going to land. Again, a lot of it has to do with where our church is uh, in that moment and what's happening in our world and uh, what we think the spirit is saying to us and how to be the church. And so, you know, after we've identified an outline, then um, studying the text will oftentimes begin on Monday or Tuesday um, and just reading it and beginning to saturate in it. Because it's amazing, the more that you saturate in a text, the longer that you spend in it, the more you begin to see things that you never before saw. Yeah, And so uh, sometimes there might be times where I try to memorize it, but really you know, that Monday and Tuesday saturating in the text is so, so important to me and just praying and uh, without commentaries. When you talk about saturating, because I, I think that is a lost art. I mean, I think for many people it's, okay, I'm just transferring information, but the saturation, again, is is speaking from a transformed place, like sitting with it. What, is, what does that saturation look like? Is it like, is it Lectio Divina? Is it like writing? Is it like you know, as you, as you do that on a Monday or Tuesday, uh, can you let us in on kind of what does, what does saturation look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I could say I do a lot of Lexio Divina. I don't, um, though, although the framework is probably quite similar because I, I try to answer those questions. Like, what do I see? What is standing out to me? Uh, what do I notice? What, what could John be trying to say? You know, what, what could be going on the church? What's the spirit saying here? Those are a lot of the questions I'm asking, but also a lot of it just has to do with, repeating it over and over, reading yeah. it over and over so that the words can begin to take root in my heart and in my mind, um, the sentence structure, um, the main points. Um, and it's, it's easier for me to then be able to break out some of the big ideas and themes. Um, 
And so, so oftentimes I'll just be like reading it a few times throughout the day and then walking away from it. And, um, I, I, I tend to have my, uh, best ideas or revelations, if you will, when I'm moving. And so, um, I hike almost every morning these days. And, uh, so oftentimes I'll, I'll read the text a couple of times, then I'll go on a hike and I'll take some notes and, uh, and reflect on it from there. You and I are very similar. I, I, I feel like the more movement, something just opens up within my heart and my mind and being out here in the desert in Arizona, I'll do a ton of hiking and I just, it's, it's amazing what gets unlocked during those moments where I'm like, Oh, I see a passage wildly different than if I was just in my office, just seated at my desk, reading and reading, but just, I don't know. There's something powerful about that. I love that you do that almost every day. That's amazing. Yes. Hiking has been such a means of grace for me. Um, and moving while thinking about the text is, is so helpful. Yeah. So, so you do the saturation piece, then Monday or Tuesday, then where does it typically go from there? Yeah. So by then I hope to have in my mind a direction where I think, you know, um, the text might be leading us because on Tuesdays is when we have our creative team meeting and we really begin to lay out the whole of the service. And we work so hard at Paznaz to, um, to help, you know, for the theme of the service, the main point, the big idea of the service to flow together. And so I like to be able to say to the team, I think I'm going to land here. Um, (laughs) but I don't always, uh, you know, we do our best. And so, you know, we'll say, okay, you know, I think I'm going to land here. So how can we shape the service around this? Um, sometimes that changes. Oftentimes it doesn't. And, um, so then from there, Wednesday or Thursday, and I say Wednesday or Thursday, cause my days have been changing with COVID and having right. children home. <laughs> and, um, I will, you know, start journaling, um, out reflections uh, from the scripture and, um, ideas. And then I, then I pull out the commentaries and, um, these days for this series, I have about five commentaries, uh, that I'm really leaning into that have been super helpful for me. Um, and I'll just uh, read every, every single commentary on that particular text, journal it. And so I'll have pages and pages and pages of journal, uh, notes from that. And then from there, I'll go back and I'll start circling, um, in my journal, just some of the big ideas, big things that I'm seeing. And usually by that point, I'm able to come up with just in my mind, some sort of sermon thesis or main idea. Um, and so by that point, I try to write that at the very top of the journal entry, what I think this, this thesis is or the one point summary. Uh, and from there, in uh, this sermon, I don't think I did this. Um, I, that, the way I structured that particular sermon um, that we're talking about today was, is different than most. Um, it was a very odd structure for my normal preaching style. Um, it worked by the grace of God, but it was a, it was kind of an out of the norm because typically what I'll do is I will try like, like many preachers, I, I like narrative preaching. I like having images that carry throughout the entire sermon. And so from the thesis, then I try to pose like, what's the problem? What's the question we're trying to answer? What's the problem we're trying to solve? And, and then I'll, you know, try to, sometimes we'll try to come up with some sort of image um, that can carry through the whole thing or a question or a theme that can, or a story that can carry us through the whole thing. And, um, so then we'll, you know, go to, uh, well, and then from, from there, then I'll start, I'll open up my computer and then I start 
creating an outline. Yeah. Um, and within the outline, I'll try to summarize a problem that we're trying to solve or a question. And then I always go straight to the text, uh, reading of the text. And um, then I'll do just exegetical work. Um, what is what is the text saying to us? What is the spirit saying? And then from there, I'll outline um, what does this mean for us as a church? Yeah. Yep. Um, and so um, after outlining everything, by the end of Thursday night or Friday, I let it sit there. And then on Saturday, I will open it back up. I'll make tweaks. I spend about four hours or so on Saturdays tweaking and reading and trying to memorize. And the outline that I have is a pretty robust outline. Uh, and so it's not your traditional, it is weird. It is, you look at it and most people would look at this and say, this is not an outline. This is just a glorified manuscript in outline format. But for me, it's just, I try to memorize it. I need to see it that way because it's just easier for me to know where I am and know I don't lose my place instead of just block text. And so on Saturdays, I will read it over several times. I don't preach it. Um, there's something that just feels so awkward about that to me. Like, and I, not that there's anything wrong with it. I know lots of pastors that preach their sermons. I just can't do it. Um, so I just read it uh, in hopes that the language and the words start becoming um, internalized in my heart and mind. Sometimes I'll read it over to my husband or to one of my best girlfriends, and we'll, they'll offer feedback. Um, I wake up Sunday morning, and I read it two to three more times okay. in the hopes of by the time I get to you know the preaching moment, it's mostly internalized, and I only have to look down a couple of times. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of things I really, really just respect and love about this process is, you know, so many, so many, um, you know, the gifted emerging voices, they jump straight to the commentaries and go, okay, what is, what does Golden Gay have to say? What does McKnight have to say? You know, and, and then it's, again, leads to an easy or opportunity to transfer information. What I love about your process is in that saturation. Um, and you are, I mean, and I see this in your, in, in the way that you tweet, um, I see this in your sermons, um, your pastoral heart for the people of Paznaz, um, is, is unbelievable. Like I, I just go, gosh, this person loves their church, loves the people of their church. And, and so I, I often will be telling younger communicators, you know, Hey, remember this, you are, almost the the McKnight or the Golden Gay for your community. Like you're the authority for, so like you you have to exegete what the need is, what the ache is. And I think in that saturation process, as you start getting notes, sharing that with your team on Tuesday, then you come back to the text, build that outline. And again, I think uh, two things with it is, you, it's so amazing how easy you make it look because I wouldn't think that you have um, written it and read it like so many times. But again, it's it's one of those things is the easier it looks, it's the more difficult the preparation and the hard work it is that people don't ever see. Um, you know, one, one thing is when I was watching you teach and I've seen this happen a few times. So you've got this Bible and you're doing First John, um, but your Bible's open but it's probably like in the book of Exodus, um, and you've you've you put your notes, and then you'll turn to maybe you know the book of uh, I don't know some other Old Testament Psalms, something you know what I mean. And there's more notes. Like, what does what's what you what's in those notes? And you, and again, you don't look down at it. 
I mean, you'll turn it, but like, I think I caught you three times looking down at your notes. I mean, you have great eye contact, like in communicating your present, the way that you're using, you know, your hands and just communicating. But um, yeah, what, what really is in that, those notes? Yeah, that's my outline. And believe it or not, they, like I said, my outlines are robust. I mean, they're up to 2000 words. Wow. I know it's crazy. It's not even a real outline, but it just, it's what works for me and it's, yeah. it's what makes sense. And so, and that's including the text, the 2000 words, but generally they're, they're around there during COVID at, lately. I've been trying to keep it at 1100. Realize we've got to keep our, our sermon shorter yeah. during this time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my outline. And I, uh, what I do is I turn it horizontal in Microsoft Word and I push the margins all the way to the end. Uh, and then I do two different um, blocks of text. And so then I fold it in half and I paper clip it in. And I have colors in there. I, I highlight things. I embolden things. And everything means something different to me. Uh, so that way, all I have to do is gla- glance down for a second to know where I am. Right. Because uh, for me, it's it's not about memorizing word for word. That I'm not so much interested in. It's It's about the flow. And so uh, just knowing where I am in case you have that moment of panic, like, where are we? Where are we going next? Just to be able to look down. So I'm not, and what I memorize, I'm not, again, it's not about memorizing the exact words. It's just the flow and the big ideas and the big points that I'm trying to get across. Yep. That makes sense. So um, I, you know, both you and I probably hold the same kind of ecclesiology when it comes to, you know, buildings and churches. And and yet I also like think architecture is really, really stunning. And I think the building at uh, Paznaz is really, um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful room. Um, probably one of, you know, the top 20 that I've ever been in, in my whole life. And what's it like now, I imagine, because what I was watching, it felt like you're on the stage, they're filming you from the room, but nobody's in there. What's been that transformation been like for you? I mean, I feel like you're you're pretty natural at it, um, but, but as such a pastor, not having people in the room uh, and having to not just speak to a camera, but through a camera to living rooms, house to house, like what's... What's been the evolution for you in that process? Yeah, it was really hard at first and felt really clunky, uh, especially I'm used to keeping eye contact throughout the entire sanctuary. Um, our sanctuary is 2,000 seats. There's a balcony. There's, it's a big room. And so I'm used to just kind of you know working the whole platform. I'm a walker. I'm a mover when I preach. And um, I'm, I'm used to moving. And so moving to a place where I, I, you know, read, read and learned very quickly that it's important to keep eye contact to the camera and to not look away. And that was crazy at first. Um, we have two, we have two main camera operators now on Sunday mornings. One is my husband, uh, and, and one is just a very close girlfriend. And so that helps, um, because while I'm preaching, they're nodding their head and they're, you know, like they're making motions, like they're with me. Our, we, our staff is out there as well. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the things that helps me the most is knowing that we're live. Oh, that's uh, good. I've, I've pre-recorded one time and it was rough. Um, there is something about um, 
knowing that our people are actually in it with me in the moment and that I'm actually talking to them right then, that it's not some sort of canned, edited, you know, thing that we produce later on, but we're, we're in this together, you know, although I'm speaking directed to the living room, I'm speaking to their living rooms right then. Yes. And there's something about that for me that really helps me as a preacher. That's really, really good. Cause I was one. Yeah. I was wondering that because even as you talked through your kind of schedule and plan, like I was like, I think she and their team, you know, when Dave Meyer speaks, like, I'm like, I think they do this like on Sunday morning, but very few churches are doing that. Very majority of them right now are like, we can get ahead. We got the whole weekend up, but like the, the sense of that, that's right. It's not like you can go, Hey, we're not, let's, let's try that again. Like you are, you are in it. You are in someone's living room. Um, and again, I, I think, again, just an amazing thought leader, really gifted preacher. But I think one of my favorite parts about the way that you teach, Terabeth, is just your pastoral sense. And um, in this teach, and I, I mean, I, I hope everyone who's listening to this will will like listen to it. The link's in the show notes to the talk. But you have a moment in this talk, and I didn't see it coming. Like I, I was walking, listening to the talk, and you said, I don't do this very often, but I want to just speak as your pastor. And there was something, like, I literally stopped where I was um, in my neighborhood, and I just had my, I was, had your, the, the video like on my phone, and I just watched it. And it was as if like you were like leaning in uh, into a living room and just saying, you need to hear this. If you don't hear anything else I say, please hear this. Uh, I'm curious, how often do you do that? Why did you feel like it was important to do that there? And what would you say to many people who go, how do you discern when it is that moment to say, as your pastor, I want to say blank? Yeah. So that was the first time I'd done it. Um, and, and the reason being is because it's always been a deep conviction of mine um, to not lead out of position or title, right? Um, but out of influence. And so I've never, you know, pulled a, you know, quote the pastor card. Um, yeah. However, you know, after four and a half years of being at PASNAS now, uh, you know, I was reminded of when my mom said, this is your mother speaking. <laughs> and I was feeling incredibly maternal and pastoral to our church, to what was happening in this world. And one of the things that was shaking me to my core was the ways that um, news media is forming our people um, more than Christ, more than scripture, um, more than the bride of Christ. And it is happening at such an alarming rate. And this, all this polarization that we are seeing is, um, is, has a lot to do with just the news and I am troubled to my core by what I'm seeing, the way I'm seeing good and godly people uh, begin to say things and have a rhetoric and begin to have a narrative that I know what news station they're getting that from. I can tell. I can tell what news station our people are listening to by the narrative that um, they, they have or the rhetoric that they're using. And this is not a, um, uh, you know, this is not just one side. 
I'm seeing this on both sides. So, yep. so it, it could be CNN, MSNBC, it could be Fox News, all of it. I won't tell you which one I abhor the most, but <laughs> uh, it's, I'm profoundly concerned at the ways that it is forming our people and oh my goodness. And so for that moment, for me, um, I had such a pastoral maternal concern and I, I genuinely want our people to knock it off. Watch the headline news at news, read the paper in some places, but but knock it off with the talk talk radio, talk news. It's so good. And and I, you know, it's funny as my wife and I have been uh talking about this, you know, and I was kind of mentioning uh your teach. And one of the reasons why was a few days earlier I just said, I just feel like we need to be mothered right now. Like, I just feel like I need like a strong maternal voice just to say, don't. And then I come a few days later to hearing your talk. And I was like, I, I feel like the whole church just needs to hear this part of the teach. What's incredible again, just the, why I think so highly of your gift is strong exegesis. So there's an amazing theology, gifted writing, but you have this kind of this push pull with pastoral and prophetic, in my opinion. Um, so in one sense, you kind of pastor these people uh, of Paznaz, you you know, and it's really, really strong. And then there's another part where you went after um, an old hymn, uh, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. And I'm like, wait, what's she going to say about this, this, this hymn? And I just thought the way that you unpacked how, and you, you kept using this phrase uh, probably five, six times during the teach, when the rubber meets the road, like talking about knowing Jesus, when the rubber meets the road, and it was all connected to that problem, all connected to, hey, um, is this is this is Christ really shaping and forming us? But many of us just want to, oh, let's just get back to focusing on Jesus and and not having to address the real issues. And if you remember that hymn, I love not for you to sing it because you did sing it at the end, which I loved. Um, but I thought I thought maybe you could just talk about that setup of what that hymn says, and then how you flipped it at the end to go. This is what it means to truly know Jesus. This is the invitation. This is what I want for you, Paznaz. It was stunning. It was beautiful. Again, pastoral, but yet prophetic. Um, so, can you talk a little bit about that hymn? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, oftentimes as pastors, something that we hear is whenever we begin to lean prophetic, um, sometimes we can get a little bit of a bristly response from people and we'll hear something like, can't we just make it about Jesus? <laughs> like, can't we just all get along and just focus on Jesus and, right. and sing? And it was actually Eugene Cho that really had an impact on me, um, just both as a friend, mentor, and his book, Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk. He addresses this in his book as well, that focusing on Jesus isn't just some sort of disconnected, um, disembodied way of living, but it actually has a way that propels us uh, to live the gospel life in a way where we care about racial brokenness. We care about the marginalized. We care about, yes, things that sometimes have political overtones, um, but we as gospel people, we see it differently, we address it differently. And so pastorally, you know, especially Nazarenes, uh, 
Nazarenes, which is what Pajnaz is, I'm a Nazarene pastor. Um, there's a lot of kind of just this old revivalist mentality, which is good and beautiful and wonderful. Um, and a lot of the, you know, um, can we, can't we just focus on Jesus? And so for me, that was a, a pastoral correction for our people. Yes, let's focus on Jesus. And here's what it means. Here's how the rubber meets the road. And in particular, tensions were really high. The protests were beginning um, all around us in Los Angeles. Protests were really ramping up. And we had people on both sides. Uh, we had people really struggling. Uh, we had polarization with our own congregation over this. And for me, that was a corrective opportunity to say, no, we, like, we need to talk about this. Um, focusing on Jesus means we are going to work this out with fear and trembling. Focusing on Jesus means that we are going to be bridge builders and reconcilers, focusing on Jesus. And so I really wanted to paint the picture for our people that this is what it means right now on this day, at the beginning of June, as all of this is happening. And so, you know, that particular hymn I heard um, when I was in uh, Rwanda, that version of the hymn, um, one of my good friends, she's a pastor, Christine Saw, who you should have on the show sometimes. She's amazing. Yes. Uh, she uh, had kind of changed up the lyrics to that song um, from May the Things on Earth Go Strangely Dim to May the Things on Earth Grow Strangely Clear. And so focusing on Jesus brings clarity to yes. the world. It doesn't dim it, but it brings clarity on how we are to be the people of God in Christ with everyday uh, challenges and hardships that we are doing. We want clarity on how to see that and through the eyes of Jesus. It's so good. And, and again, like, you know, you, you started in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, but you were also in John 4 with Jesus visiting the Samaritan woman, which was a clear way in which Jesus viewed women, a clear way in which Jesus viewed Samaritans, um, a clear way in which Jesus viewed someone with a past. It's a clear way in which Jesus empowered, and he didn't just dim the Samaritans, you know, just run away from it. Like it, he had to go. And again, you just, you, you hit that so well. And it was an amazing teach and was just good for my soul. And just a, a fresh reminder at the end of the talk though, you did something that I haven't seen. And, and, um, and maybe it's true to the, the kind of the Nazarene kind of, uh, denomination or liturgy. Um, but you guys did a house to house, almost covenant. House covenant. What explain that? Because it was really, really beautiful. What is that? How often do you do that? Yeah, so we do that house covenant at the beginning of every preaching series, and we normally do it at the front end of the service. Uh, however, with the way things were, we I, I think I think I don't remember for sure, but I think we wanted to. The hope for that day was to build throughout the whole service. So I believe we began with a sense of heaviness and lament on that particular day. You did. Yep. We yep. Wanted, okay. Yeah. And so we intentionally created the service where um, we would begin with lament, move towards hope, and then move with the declaration of who we are. And so this house covenant was something that um, our pastoral staff wrote probably three years ago. And we made the decision that this was something that we wanted to introduce to the congregation um, as a, and it's not a purpose statement or vision statement. It's a declaration of who we are as a gathered people and the type of people we want to be when we gather in worship on Sunday mornings. And so typically somewhere at the beginning, we will read that house covenant together as a community. Um, 
but this particular Sunday, because we wanted to begin with lament and it was so much heaviness, we decided to end with the house covenant. And then we went into the benediction from there. So is the house covenant, is that something, you know, for a family, you know, or is, or, okay. So it's not like a, Hey, we're doing like house churches in this season or like watch parties. It's, it, this is just for the house. Okay. Gotcha. It's just for the house. And it's, again, it's just, this is who we are when we gather you know, yes. we are an inclusive and a welcoming people. We are um, a loving people. Our, you know, and so it's it's a declaration that we can say as a family and that we're covenanting together. But also, if there happens to be people that are there for the first time, they can hear that and say, "Oh, this is the type of family that I'm yeah. with right now. This is this is wonderful." Yeah. Well, as as someone who's you know tuned into uh, a number of your your teachings that I've been, again, been greatly blessed by. That was the first time I'd heard that. Um, cause I probably have just listened to the podcast or, you know, and so then to see it at the very end, I was like, it was a gift for me on the outside to go, Oh, this is this, this basically describes what I've thought Paznaz to be. Um, and so I thought it was powerful, just a, a good, like you said, declaration on the way out it was powerful. Um, Hey, one of the things when we talk about this, this, kind of idea of craft and character is we, we want to help everyone get better at the craft of communicating. And um, I want I want people to see the the power of the spoken word. I mean, God speaks and, you know, into the chaos and, and, and brings order. And, but we also want to be the kind of people where our character leads the way. And especially in these unprecedented times uh, and, you know, that service on June 7th, I mean, you guys leaned into it with lament and just uh, talked about it, addressed it. Um, I'm curious for you, what are you needing, whether it's the spiritual practices, disciplines, um, you mentioned a little bit of hiking right now, I mean, earlier, but what is, what is essential for you to ensure that your character is leading the way, um, especially in this season? Could you talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. That's very, very important to me and has sustained me through the years at Paznaz. And so there's a number of practices. I every January, December time, I'll I'll begin praying about my rule of life for that particular year, and it doesn't always change drastically. There's tweaks here and there, and I'll tweak it even throughout the year. But um, therapy is huge for me. Once a week, yep. um, for an hour every week, I have the most amazing and wonderful therapist, Dr. Laura Harbert, and um, that has been an incredible means of grace for me. Um, hiking or exercise. There's just something about sweating and moving my body, um, climbing a mountain that is just, again, a means of grace. Um, I'll often do it alone listening to worship. I hike a lot with my husband um, and I hike a lot with with a girlfriend as well. Um, reading is a really important practice of mine. Um, I'll try to read both a theological book and a book for fun. And so uh, reading for fun is new for me this year in 2000, what a year, 20, 2020. <laughs> and so how could I forget 2020? My goodness. Um, but I've been reading just a lot of novels and books for fun, um, just because I find that often, you know, the theological books are wonderful. Uh, I find that oftentimes it gets my wheels spinning into, you know, preaching series and sermons. Yes. And so just to take a break from that. Um, Sabbath is really important taking, uh, I take every Friday off and a half a Saturday. And so, um, of course, pastoral ministry, sometimes schedules happen, yeah. you do a memorial service or 
Um, we vacation a lot. We camp a ton. Um, and so about five to six times a year we go camping and, um, hiking a lot. We spend a lot of time in the wilderness as a family. Um, I do a date with my husband every other Friday. Um, and so, and I say every other Friday because I take every Friday off. He gets every other Friday off. He works for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they're on 980s. And so, and we usually will go hiking. We'll go to brunch. Um, we devote, you know, Saturdays, uh, Saturday morning through the afternoon as a family day. Um, I also have strong accountability and support systems. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing I would add is first thing in the morning is beginning with quiet time and prayer. Mm. I... Um, have, you know, often various readings that I'll do right now. I'm reading the book of common, um, what am I, uh, the, the adapted one. Common from Glab- yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so I've been reading through that with the morning and the evening prayers, and that's been a wonderful blessing, but waking up, I, I like to give myself a good hour before I have anything to do of just being still sipping my coffee, reading and reflecting. That's awesome. And for your rule of life, like, will you just have each of those kind of put there? And then is it, um, I'll just ask this for people like, do you, do you find yourself going back to it and like, Hey, once a month going, Hey, how did this work? Or, you know, we didn't get the, the two date nights this, this month. Why, how, how do you, how do you celebrate the wins or also kind of go, man, this needs to be adapted. Yeah. I wish I went back to every month. I have some friends that do go back to it every month. Um, I would say more quarterly, I'll refer back to it, but also, you know, my rule of life has become such a part of who I am. You know, it's, it's so different than a new year's resolution and these are my goals, but it's, you know, using tell us language of like, what kind of person do I want to be? And the rule of life in a lot of ways is, is that, that utter or that, um, you know, that just guiding um, boundaries in, in which I, I move towards that talas. And so I would say after doing a rule of life for many years, it's it's become so ingrained, internalized. Um, and I generally try not to, you know, do some sort of crazy New Year's resolution. And they're like, this year I'm going to lose 500 pounds, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. I often when I think about the um, the rule of life, you know, in our family, we'll talk about you know that a trellis, you know, and and you know just that sense of that's helping helping it grow and bear the best kind of fruit. And what what's that you know structure that you could put into place that you really trust that's going to help you grow? And uh, so I love all those things that you just um, have named out. And you speaking know, of the art of uh, preaching, really quick, you yeah. will understand this. Uh, every preacher says incorrect words. I said utter, and I meant to say rudder. Rudder. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's just the, it's just the Zoom Wi-Fi that we, yeah, it was rudder yeah. all along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have an utter that guy. <laughs> That's awesome. I just That's realized awesome. I needed to correct yeah. that. We've all done it from the pulpit. We say crazy oh. things. We're like, oh man. Yes. Oh yes, for sure, for sure. Sorry, you um, had such a serious moment there. No, 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 <laughs> no. So one of the questions I also love, and you've mentioned it a couple of times with like the the accountability side. You know, um, when you find yourself, you know, as a lead pastor, senior pastor, and you know, you're have an elder board, also have a denomination that you're connected to. Do you, do you find yourself saying, "Hey, here's my rule of life"? 
like to your elders or do you, do you bring that rule of life? I mean, obviously your husband and you are connected to that, but like, is that something you share with friends or is that something, Hey, no, this is how we've um, begun to kind of disseminate that uh, within our family or within our friends or within our network. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. You know, I actually last year considered bringing it to our elders, which we, we call them the board of directors. I've considered doing that and I have not done it yet. Um, I know Rich Velotis does that and yeah, I'm always yeah. so inspired and in th- in that he will even bring Rosie in yeah, and, yeah. you know, she'll share how they're doing. And that is, that is incredible. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I do share it with a close circle of friends. Um, a couple of times I've gone on a, a retreat with, with some just sisters in Christ and then I'll talk it over with Jeff. And so, um, Generally, I do include other people and other thoughts and feedback on that. Yep. And I do have yep. a prayer circle and accountability through that. And my husband, Jeff, and, and my sisters in Christ have been a huge blessing with that. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, two more questions, and then you're off the hot seat. Um, one is, again, gifted, talented, just, I mean, again, just uh, think so highly of you. You know, as a, as a white male who's had a lot of opportunities that have been kind of handed to me as a communicator and um, preacher. And, you know, and I love that you shared, you know, when you're 16, 17, you felt that anointing, that, that kind of gift of preaching. Can you talk a little bit about like what that experience has been for you for better, for worse? And then also, um, I mean, I, I'll deal with criticism from time to time, but, but how do you, how do you deal with that? And then are there kind of guardrails that you've put into place? So just a little bit about your gift and then also just uh, the guardrails to, because I think for many of us as, as, as voices that are up sharing our heart, and again, you, a lot of people aren't doing the pastor, pastoral and prophetic as like you are, but I think when you do those, you open yourself up too. Um, you're, it's not like a safe vanilla teach. You are opening up God's word, diving in and just again, that that gift since 16 of you honing that sound, probably dip, way more difficult, not probably, way more difficult than the, the path I had to getting on stages, but how you've honed that and then how you handle criticism when it comes. Yeah, so preaching has been a roller coaster for me of, of just an abundant amount of opportunities and a desert of opportunities, uh, an abundant amount of confidence from the Lord and a desert of confidence. And uh, a lot of that roller coaster has to do with being a woman in ministry of voices that I hear, of critiques that I hear, of the systems that often will keep women on the sidelines uh, within churches. And so because of that, it's there's been just moments where, you know, my confidence emboldened, if you will, is just you know, because of, of my brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside of me, giving me opportunities. And then there's other moments where it just, it's, it's all gone, you know, and it, you know, might be because of criticism or it might be because of closed doors. And so, you know, my path, and, and I think, you know, many of us in ministry, our path is never just this, you know, steady um, incline of opportunities and doors opening, but it's, we, we go back and forth between, you know, these wilderness moments of, of where it just seems like, my goodness, I have these gifts. Is there anywhere I can use these gifts? Um, to moments where the opportunities are abundant. And, you know, we all, we all go through that. However, I do think, you know, women, uh, it's often a very unique journey. And 
I would say, you know, I know more women that are in the wilderness than are not in the wilderness, uh, women that have gifts to teach and preach. And that certainly has been my, my journey. And I would say the opportunities that have come my way have been because of other, usually men going before me and opening those doors, speaking life into me, speaking confidence and uh, going before me or having a conversation uh, with someone about me and those doors opening. But even when there's been opportunities, you know, a, a lot of people look at me at Pazdaz and think we've arrived or she's arrived. Um, but that's usually when the criticism begins with the most intensity. And so I have certainly had my share of pretty intense, awful criticism um, before Pazdaz and especially since being there, you know, being the first female senior pastor of a church that's always been pastored by men. Um, it wasn't just a moment locally, but it was a moment just across the whole church of, of others feeling like they had a say as to whether or not I should be the pastor because of my gender. And I have um, been uh, the brunt of a lot of hate mail, um, hate things written on social media. There's been campaigns against me, um, public campaigns. And it's in the beginning, it cut very deep. And um, it hurt very bad. Um, Many, many nights just raw on the floor weeping. Um, Many nights next to my husband saying, please get me out of this. I can't do this. And um, by the grace of God, God has continued to carry me through the desert in those wilderness moments. And by the grace of God, um, God has been healing me. And, you know, it's amazing just the process of therapy for me, how I've been able to see that criticism differently, respond to it differently, and I'm able to see it, you know, for what it is. And there are really important guardrails for me. Um, I don't, you know, something about reading criticism is often very hard for me. And so if I know there's something out there in social media, um, you know, I have friends that will say, don't, don't go to this page or don't read it. And I won't read it. Um, I also try um, not to uh, have really hard conversations or read really hard emails, especially on Mondays. Mondays I um, are very sacred days for me. It's not my day off. It's not my Sabbath, but I organize my meetings very differently. Um, I am very cautious about what I read. I'm very cautious about the pastoral appointments that I set because, because I am so It feels, I feel vulnerable when I preach because of that. I experience major vulnerability hangover. I feel wide, just wide open. And so criticisms hurt really bad on Mondays. And so there's particular guardrails, you know, and I, I don't read uh, letters that don't have a signature that don't have a name. Um, My um, admin, she will often screen letters for me and just keep the ones away that are just vitriol. Um, so, so I'm very careful these days. Well, I mean that, that is just, just filled with wisdom, just what you shared. I mean, I'm the same way with the vulnerability hangover on the day after I teach. And if there's no name, don't read it. I, so I, I resonate with so much of that. And at any moment when someone's got, uh, a supposed hot take for you, just feel free, just say, Hey, feel free to send this to Steve at Steve Ryan Carter.com. He'd love to talk with you, uh, so feel free. Uh, Cause um, and I and I'm and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you uh, talking about the 
that confidence that God has given you and also talking about the wilderness um, because both are true. And it's amazing how quickly uh, the confidence can just come on a Monday and how crazy how you're like, I just went from a saturation moment in God's presence to I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's 110 in the desert. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> so, so yeah, so I just, I, I think that, again, part of that uh, rule of life, those guardrails are really, really important. So uh, um, last question, you know, um, one of the things that we do part of crafting character are these cohorts. And, and what we've been doing is trying to, to help communicators get better and, and, and talk about conversations with, you know, coaches and mentors. When you were at Northern Seminary, was that a cohort model? Like where you were with a, a, a group of um, people and other students that were learning? Um, or have you ever been a part of a cohort? And if so, what was that like? And if not, no worries. But I just didn't know if you had been a part of one. No, it wasn't a cohort model. So I did the traditional Masters of Divinity. Okay, okay. Um, they do have a cohort model now. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Seminary. Yep. Yeah, they didn't when I was there. Although they're demon, I think the demon programs have always been cohort. But for the Masters of Divinity, it was not a cohort. Though it felt like it because we created our own little community. It's not a huge seminary. And so it becomes a cohort of sorts. Um, and we, we would travel together and um, we were all at different rates and speeds. Um, and so, and so, you know, I've never been a part of an intentional cohort like that. Um, it's yeah. something I think I would love, uh, especially being out of seminary right now. Uh, I miss that learning environment. And so, so I, I hear a lot about a lot of good cohorts out there, but it's, it's something I've never been able to be a part of. No. Well, um, I, I was like, I knew that Northern had done something. And again, I just think that I think the world of that faculty and the people who, um, who, yeah, who've just come out of that place. I'm like, I'm, I'll read whatever you write. I'll, you know, I just said, there's, there's just a, a weightiness to, um, the, the approach that I feel like, uh, people who have attended there or taught there have, um, Hey, for, for our listeners, uh, if they've not, you know, uh, they're not following you on Twitter, uh, or Instagram, um, where, where can they find you? And you, you mentioned the word emboldened twice. And each time I wanted to say, that's a good book. That's a good book. Um, but like, <laughs> um, but like, uh, where, where else can they, they pick up some of the stuff that, uh, you are writing and creating? Yeah. So Twitter, um, is at Tara Beth 82 and that's T A R A. Um, many like to spell my name with T E R R A, like Earther. <laughs> but uh, Tara Beth 82, same with Instagram, Tara Beth 82, Tara Beth Leach on Facebook, um, the website, tarabethleach.com. And yes, emboldened a vision for empowering women in ministry. I have another book coming out in January, um, called Radiant. And it's uh, the subtitle is Reclaiming the Witness of the Church. Wow. And so that's um, a little bit more, again, a little bit more prophetic leaning book about just the witness of the bride of Christ in North America. Oh my goodness. Okay. Can you take just a second? Like who, who's publishing it? Is it on Amazon now? Can I buy it? Like this is, I've, I've not heard about this. So this is, this is fantastic. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's brand new. You know, I just got the cover concept. It's in editing right now. Um, InterVarsity Press, again, same ones that did Emboldened. Um, I love working with InterVarsity. Love, love, love them. And so that comes out in January. So it's not on Amazon quite yet. I would imagine by October, it'll be available for pre-order. 
I'm excited about it. I'm way more nervous about this one coming out than I was in Bolden's because there's just, huh, you know, it's just one of those books that I think I can make a lot of people mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, just write back, email Steve at steveryancarter.com. I'm so excited. That's this, this is the best news of my day is the fact that you've got a new book. Cause I, I, I knew, you know, I'm like 2018, I think was the last one. There's gotta be a new one coming out. So thanks for dropping that information. That's so exciting. So, well, well, Hey, seriously, thank you for who you are. Thank you for, um, just the ways that you are continuing to lead shepherd guide, be a prophetic voice and really live a life, um, that crafting character is all about. And so I, I hold you in high regard and, uh, many, many blessings to you, friend. Likewise. Thank you so much, Steve. It was a joy to be with you. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Craft and Character podcast. And my friends at CDF Capital and myself, we don't just want to have these conversations online. We actually want to have these conversations in living rooms. And here's what I mean. For the last few years, CDF Capital, uh, through the Ascent Leader, has been putting on these cohorts, and we want to start these preaching cohorts and so we kind of released the information about that uh, last week, and people signed up. We've only got a few slots remaining. We're going to have some incredible coaches, people like Dave Stone, who used to pastor at Southeast Christian in Louisville before he handed it off to Kyle Eidelman, a great, great preacher and leader, and also Dick Alexander, who has just been a force for good in developing young communicators. The two of them are going to be coaches. And what they're going to do is we're going to have probably eight or nine people, whether lead pastors, whether student pastors, whether emerging teaching voices who will be kind of under their guidance for a year. And three times you will gather and you will gather in the living room of an incredible world-class communicator. And so Chris Brown uh, in San Diego, who's just at North Coast, who's an amazing storyteller. Derwin Gray, Harvey Carey in Detroit. Um, people that you're going to get a chance to dive in and learn and have incredible conversations. That's really going to help take your preaching and communication gift to another level. We want to help you. We want to help you not just be great on the stage, but we also want to help you develop the practices and spiritual exercises, again, so that your character always leads the way. You can learn more at craftandcharacter.org. Please check it out. And if you just want to inquire, you can sign up and apply. One of our teammates would love to reach out to you and help you continue to grow in your craft and character. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it. Feel free to subscribe, leave a review. It helps us a ton. And if there's ever any ways that we can serve you, feel free, reach out. My email's pretty simple. It's just steve at steveryancarter.com. But my friends, may you, may you, as you teach, as you guide, as you lead in these unprecedented days, may you continue to dive deep into the way of Jesus and allow him to bear the best kind of fruit in and through, with and for you. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.